You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you and happy Easter. What about our band today? Didn't they do amazing? They did so great. Just so good. So glad you guys are here and hope your uh, whole Easter day is incredible. And we're just so thankful for you guys and everything that uh, you do for your family. And I know you're going to get together with your family today. And uh, how many people are having ham? Are you having ham today? Like ham is like the Easter meat. I don't know why exactly, but... Hey, I wanted to do a little uh, survey about Easter candy, what your favorite Easter candy is. And uh, we're going to do a little vote here to see kind of what Easter candy wins. So here's your options. First of all, it's the Reese uh, PC uh, uh, Easter egg. That's real popular. And uh, you, you don't have to vote yet. We're going to vote a little bit later. Then the uh, Robin egg, the Robin eggs. And then the Peeps. Those are the three options. So first of all, raise your hand if you are the Reese PC Easter egg. There you go. Raise your hand. Look at this. Boy, this is pretty, pretty impressive here. Uh, the next one, robin eggs. How many robin eggs is your favorite? Uh, raise your hand there. Okay, a little less there. Uh, one guy's raising his hand for everything. That's like you got to blow it. Uh, how about peeps? Your, the peeps is your thing. Wow, it looked like the Reese Peace's uh, Easter egg one. Now, the right answer was the uh, robin eggs. That was the right answer. So a lot of you got that wrong, but anyhow, that's my favorite. But I hope you have a great Easter, and we're just glad you're here with us, and uh, we want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and his wonderful love for all of us. Well, I've been talking and been doing a series called Easter Parade, and I've been talking about all the different characters in the Easter story. First week, we talked about Judas Iscariot. Last week, we talked about uh, Peter, who failed the Lord and denied the Lord. And today, I want to talk about two characters that play a really important part in the Easter story, and that's Caiaphas, the high priest, and I want to talk about Pilate. So these two people have something in common in the Easter story. So we're talking about uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, and Pilate. I want to read to you a little bit of the story out of Mark's gospel, and then we'll read a few verses out of John. Uh, Mark chapter 15 says this, Very early in the morning, the chief priest... And the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists and had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what they usually did. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. They shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. And then in John chapter 18, we get a little bit of the dialogue between 
Pilate and uh, the, uh, the people, the high priests that, and the religious leaders. Then the Jewish leaders, this is John 18, 28 through 23. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. But now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus has said about the kind of death he was going to die. Now there's uh, an interesting background story to Pilate and Caiaphas. And sometimes when you read the Easter story, you don't really get the sense of what really is going on about why they hand Jesus over to be crucified. And I think sometimes, you know, people give that this is the reason they're doing something, but it's really another reason. And we, that's part of human nature. Human nature sometimes covers up and masks the real reason people do things. Now, just to give you a little understanding of what's going on here, the high priest is a guy named Caiaphas. His father-in-law is Annas, who's really the power behind the scenes. And these high priests are always Sadducees. Now, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but a Sadducee was the upper crust, the aristocracy of the ancient world in Israel. They were the people that had the money, had the positions, and had the influence. And basically, the high priest was appointed by the Roman governor. So Caiaphas got his job from Pilate, and Pilate got his job from Tiberius in Rome. So when you think about that, when these Sadducees, you know, that are making up a big part of the Sanhedrin, which is the governing body that governed the Jewish affairs under Roman rule, and Caiaphas, who was a Sadducee, all of these people had in their best interest for Rome to be status quo. They wanted everything to stay the way they were. In fact, you know, the big risk here is Jesus has got all of these thousands of followers that have showed up on Palm Sunday. They've come from Galilee. And these people are really fired up about Jesus as the Messiah. And so Caiaphas had said after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, it's better for one man to die than the whole nation be destroyed. So basically what he's saying there is we've got to make sure we get rid of Jesus so things don't get out of hand here and the Romans don't come in and take away our place. So they're concerned about their position. They're concerned about their money. They're concerned about making sure that things stay the way they are so that they have money, they have position, and they have influence. So that's really what's going on behind the scenes. Now, Pilate, you've got this guy. He's been in power from AD 26 to AD 36, 10 years. Jesus is being crucified about 33 AD. So he's only going to be in power three more years. He doesn't know that, but he's only got three more years to be in power. Now, he's the guy that... Tiberius is appointed to keep things in order there in Jerusalem and Judea. Now, the Roman authorities have two things in mind. Two things in mind. They don't care about religion. They don't care about God. They don't care about anything but keeping peace, the Pax Romana, and money. They want to make sure that taxes are collected and that there are peace in the region. So Pilate's job is to keep peace and to collect taxes. That's all that they care about. They don't care if you worship the Easter Bunny. They don't care about anything except taxes and peace. Now, when Pilate becomes 
a new leader in AD 26, appointed by Tiberius, the first thing he does, does is a big blunder. In fact, Pilate makes a number of blunders right before Jesus comes to be tried before him. So if you know what happened before Jesus comes to trial, it helps you to understand the trial a bit better. And so Pilate is starting out as the new leader. And you know when you start off as a new leader, you want to start off well. You want to do things well. You don't want to start off on the wrong foot. But he starts off on the wrong foot. I remember when uh, I got my, one of my first jobs, I used to work for, uh, called, uh, work for a company called Acme Markets, the grocery store. And I, when I was in high school, I worked for Super Thrift. It was a little uh, non-union grocery store in Seaford. And then when I was in 10th grade, I got a job with Acme, which was a union job. And I was real excited, and I remember my first day at work, uh, Mr. Martin, the general, uh, the general manager of the store, called me to the office, and he said, he said, here's what you're going to make here. And I was going to make $4.82 an hour. And I thought, what am I ever going to do with all that money? Because I was making at Super Thrift $1.75 an hour. And when I became unionized, went for this union store, I was going to make $4.82 an hour. I thought, I'm rich. I, I made it. So my first day at work, I'm, stack, I'm stocking these uh, sodas uh, on a, uh, I had put some, put some new shelving in. And it was back in the days when sodas were in glass containers. And I stacked all of these sodas, about 30 or 40 sodas, on this big glass, uh, on this big shelf. And evidently, I had not got the shelving in correctly. And the whole thing collapsed, and about 30 uh, bottles of soda busted all over the floor. That was my first day at work. And uh, I remember Mr. Uh, Martin saying on the intercom, would the, would the guy that's head of the wrecking crew on aisle number four come to the office? I remember my first date. You remember your first date, your very first date? I was in ninth grade for my first date. There was this girl named Dawn that I was enamored with. I was enamored with her. And uh, so I couldn't drive as a ninth grader, but our, our, youth, our youth group was going to go on a, uh, on a skating outing. So I invited her to go skating. And so we went uh, skating, and I was able to skate with her and not fall down. And we got back to the house my dad was a pastor and we lived in a Methodist parsonage and I remember uh, walking to the door with her my heart was pounding we were going to wait for her parents to come I was going to she was coming to the house and and when I it was one of those Methodist parsonages that had the big porch around it and so I walked up to the door and as I started to open the door the doorknob came off the door in my hand <laughs> so that was my first date now Pilate kind of started out his reign like that. He started out doing everything wrong. So when he became a new governor in AD 26, the first thing he did was he actually lived in Caesarea, which is on the coast. And he, uh, in order to kind of send the message to Jerusalem that he was the new guy in charge, he sent uh, his soldiers to Jerusalem bearing the banners or the standards of the, uh, of the emperor. And they came in to Jerusalem and they put those banners right in front of the temple. Now on the banners, there was the picture of Tiberius, which by Roman standards, he was considered to be a god. So they put these standards in front of the temple showing the Roman god in front of the temple. 
And so what happened was the people were really, really upset about that because, you know, the Jews believed that you should have no other God before me. That was what was the first commandment that, that Moses gave them. So to have standards in front of the temple with the image of a God was really insulting the Jewish people. So this is the first thing he did. So what he what he did was, you know, he just kind of stood his ground. And, but the Jewish people got so upset that hundreds of them went to Caesarea in front of his palace. And for five days, they rioted and they protested those standards being there. Then after the fifth day, he came out on his big throne. And he came out. And as he came out, uh, he was going, they thought he was going to dialogue with them and talk with them about the situation. Instead, he surrounded them with, with Roman soldiers and the Roman soldiers poured, pulled out their swords. And the uh, governor Pilate said, he said, unless you disperse, unless you leave, we're going to kill you. And all the Jewish people, there were hundreds of them, knelt on the ground and bore their necks willing to die for this principle. So Pilate had to back down. He ordered their standards to come out, and the Jewish people won that debate. So it's Jews won, Pilate zero. That's how it starts out. It wasn't too long after that that he, uh, he wanted to build an aqueduct to bring water into Jerusalem because the water was bad. And so Pilate wanted to bring in water, better water, and he wanted to build a 30-mile aqueduct. In order to pay for this, he goes to the temple, and he takes money out of the temple treasury to build this aqueduct in order to bring this aqueduct, bring w- fresh water into Jerusalem. And the People, of course, are horrified. Now, this could have been a little kind of like arrangement between the high priest and Pilate. But as soon as they found out that he took money out of the temple to pay for this aqueduct, people were up in arms about this. They were so upset about this because this is the, one of the, this is the second thing he did. And people are really, really upset. By the way, if you lead an organization, an organization, if you lead a business, or if you're involved in a church, if you're involved in politics or anything, mishandling money is the worst thing a leader can ever do. And Pilate mishandled money, and people were upset, and they again protested in front of him. Hundreds of them were upset. And this time, Pilate uh, sent his soldiers dressed in civilian clothes into the crowd. And into the crowd, these soldiers incognito, they have clubs, and they pull out clubs, and they begin to club people, and they kill a bunch of people, and they abuse a bunch of people uh, because of the protest. And there's this animosity that's developing between Pilate and, and the Jewish people. And it all builds up to the point where Jesus stands before them, and they say, if you don't deal with this man, you're no friend of Caesar." So when they say that to him, there's a history behind those words. So right before Jesus was brought before Pilate, here's another thing he did. When he would come to Jerusalem, he would stay in uh, Herod's temple, which was in the upper part of the city. It's on Mount Zion where King David used to have his palace. And it's in the upper city. And so uh, this palace was where Herod would stay, or where, where Pilate would stay when he came uh, to town. And he got these big banners that he hung in the palace that had pictures of the Roman gods. the Apollos, Aphrodite, all these different Roman gods. He decorated the palace with these banners. 
And the people heard about it, the Jewish people heard about it, and they began to protest, they began to uh, riot again, and they sent a delegation to Rome to talk to Tiberius about this. And they also appealed to the, uh, the governor in Syria, which was sort of Pilate's direct report. So they appealed to Tiberius, and Tiberius tells Pilate to take the banners down. Because, again, all he cares about is money and peace. Money and peace. So here Pilate is embarrassed in front of these people. He's embarrassed in front of these Jewish people because his boss has told him to get rid of, to get rid of these banners, and he kind of, you know, has got egg all over his face in this situation. So this is what happens before Jesus comes to stand before Pilate. There's, there's a history here. And so when you think about, you think about Pilate. And Jesus stand before him, and you think about the high priests, their little you know, thing that they did. The high priests are taking care of themselves. They want to make sure that their self-interests are protected. Pilate, when Jesus is standing in front of him, he's thinking about one thing. He's trying to save his job. He's trying to make sure that he doesn't lose face. He's trying to make sure that he doesn't you know, mess up again and lose his position. So they're concerned about self-interest and position. It's all about self-interest. So what's really behind the trial of Jesus, there was actually three of them, the, the, the trial before the Sanhedrin and the, and the high priest, the trial before Pilate, and then Pilate tried to send uh, Jesus to Herod, Herod Antipas, and so you got these trials going on. But everybody's operating out of this mindset. What can I do to protect myself? What can I do to take care of my self-interest? It's not about religion. It's not about anything else. It's just about what is in my best interest. And you know what? Things haven't changed very much. That's basically the way most of us live our lives. It's basically, you know, how, what's best for me? What's best for me as a person? What's best for me? What can I do best to make my spreadsheet look better? What's best for me? What is the very best thing I can do for myself? I was watching the news the other day, and uh, actually uh, I was cleaning up dinner. Our arrangement in our house is uh, Karen cooks the dinner, and I clean the dinner up. So, you know, that's a good arrangement. I can't cook, and she's worked really hard, so she cooks the meal, and I help a little bit, but mainly I don't do a whole much, much, bunch with that. But when we get finally to the, uh, uh, you know, to the cleanup time, I have her sit down, and she just relaxes, and I put things away. So we had the news on, and I was watching the news while I was cleaning up things and putting things in the dishwasher, and there was the, the press secretary for the president was on, on TV on the news, and they were talking about the, the situation in Ukraine and all the things that are happening. And I'm just listening, and I want to be informed, and, and I had the evening news on, and I'm listening, and I'm putting things in the dishwasher. And then as they're talking about Ukraine, the press secretary says this. And I, I want you to know that this is not a swing at the president. This is not a, a partisan comment. This is just a comment on the mindset of our times. The press secretary said this. She said, the president's job is to do that which is in the best interest of the United States. 
The president's job, talking about Ukraine, is to do that which is in the best interest of the United States. All of a sudden, as I listen to that and I hear that, I'm, I'm doing my thing, putting things away. It like hit me like a ton of bricks. All of a sudden, it made me realize that that's the mindset of our age. What is best for us? What is best for me? When I think about, when I look at what's happened in Ukraine, over 3,000 people uh, killed at least now. We know from uh, what's happening there that there's, there's executions and, and mass graves. We're not talking about 1941. We're not talking about, you know, uh, Germany and Hitler. We're talking about our times in 2022. And when I heard that statement, our job is to do that which is in the best interest of the United States. I thought, is there not, is there not a higher law? Is there not something that's more important than self-interest? Isn't there something like moral leadership that sometimes we do what's right in spite of what is in our self-interest? There's always a tension between self-interest and morality and doing what's right. And somehow, when I heard that, it just really pricked my heart to know that, that how our, our world is thinking right now is I want to make sure that I do what's best for me. I want to do what's best for me. As a nation, let's do what's best for our nation. Let's do what's best for our personal interest. But is there not a place... Is there not a place in our time for moral leadership, for somebody to say, listen, regardless of my self-interest, there's something morally going wrong, and we need to do something about it. There's a place for that. And it's simply not just our country, for sure. It's the whole world operating on what is best for us. What is best for our self-interest? And I just was thinking about that, how, how important it was. I say to our staff and our church board, sometimes we, you know, we have uh, board meetings. So we're looking at all those spreadsheets and you know, how much money we got at this campus, how much money we had in that campus. And we have a wonderful team of leaders and really smart people and CPAs and administrators that do really good with the money stuff and, and all, always that. And we always want to reach more people. We, we try to do church really well so people that aren't interested in church will come. But I always say this. I always say, listen, truth can never be compromised on the altar of expediency. Truth can never be compromised on the altar of expediency. What does that mean? That means we've got to be willing to do, right, do the right thing, to say the right thing, to lead in the right way, even if it affects our spreadsheets and the number of people that come to church. Because our world has become obsessed with churches, businesses, politics have become obsessed with self-interest. What is best for us? And I'm here to tell you that there is a higher law there's a higher place, and that higher place is a place called moral leadership. We're doing what is right 
is the right thing to do, even when it does not serve our own best interest. Such an important thing for us to think about. I remember when I was in high school in 10th grade, I went to study hall, and study hall is a great concept. You're supposed to go to study hall, and you're supposed to study and you know, do your homework. And I ended up you know, playing chess with a bunch of guys in the back. We played chess every day in study hall. And one day I'm sitting in the study hall, and this little guy comes in. He's not very big. I think he's a freshman. I think I was a sophomore. And uh, his name was Craig. And I used to hang out with him when we were kids. His dad was friends with my dad. We used to ride horses together. And uh, we had, you know, we had uh, a lot of time together. But we had kind of gone separate ways. We had different, you know, groups of friends. He comes in the door, and behind him comes this big bully. And I don't know if, uh, I don't know what had happened in the hallway, but he grabbed my friend Craig and threw him against the, the chalkboard and punched him in the face and a big cut on, over his eye and just pummeled this, this poor kid. And I, I jumped up and I went toward the front and the guy ran out, not because he saw me, I think he was afraid the teacher was coming. But I tried to help my friend Craig and, and, and uh, the teacher came in, I told the teacher what happened. He's, she sent me and Craig down to the office, the principal's office, and then they found this guy and brought him to the principal's office. And the principal was a guy named Mr. Johnson. He was a you know, real mean guy, I mean, real stern face, and he would, you know, just a really intimidating guy. And the, the guy, the big bully that attacked my little friend Craig, was, uh, was defending himself and saying he didn't do anything and it wasn't his fault and all this. And so I just had this righteous indignation rise up in my heart, and I just began to tell the, the principal what happened. I said, Craig walked in the door. There was no provocation at all. He just was just walking in the door, and this guy came and just pounded him and just beat him. And, and the principal said, this guy seems to know what he's talking about. And they expelled the big bully, and my friend Craig went to the nurse's office, got fixed up. And I don't tell you that story because I'm a, I'm a hero, because a lot of times I do the wrong thing. But you know what I remember about that story? What I remember about that story is that 30 other people sat in that study hall and watched a little un, uh, boy unable to defend himself get pummeled, and everybody sat there and just watched it happen. I think that one of the things that we need to think about this Easter as we're living our lives and we're walking through raising our kids and, and buying the gas that's getting so expensive and the groceries are getting so expensive and everything that seems to be you know, so expensive. Have you noticed things are more expensive? Have you noticed that? As all that, we're getting through all that. I want you to think about this Easter that Caiaphas and Pilate just did what was in their best self-interest. And our world is becoming a world that's obsessed nationally and individually with what is in our best self-interest. And there's a higher law. Franklin Roosevelt said, he said, being a president or being a leader is not simply an administrative position, but it's an office of moral leadership. So whatever position you're in, as a father, leading your home, leading your business, whatever place you are, remember there is something more important than self-interest.
when you think about uh, this week I was reading the uh, I was reading in my devotions in Luke chapter 10 I was going through Luke and and I read about the story of the Good Samaritan it's a great story you got this you know you got this guy that's coming down from Jerusalem down he's going down to Jericho and it's a kind of a descent from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's always on it, you know, always elevated. You always go down from Jerusalem. He's going down 17 miles to Jericho, and he's going down a winding path, and there's all these rocks and these little hiding places that robbers can hide in. And this poor guy, unprovoked, just going down on Jericho for business, these robbers come, and they beat him up, and they, they take all his money, they take all his resources, they take take his clothes off, they, they leave him bruised and cut and bleeding and naked. And he's laying on the side of the road. And a priest, a priest comes by. The priest comes by and the priest is on his way to the temple to make sacrifice and to serve. And the priest sees him. It says in the text in Luke chapter 10 that the priest saw him and went on the other side of the road. Seeing creates responsibility. Seeing creates an obligation. He saw the man. When he saw the man, he went by on the other side. And maybe he's rationalizing in his mind. Maybe he's thinking, listen, you know, uh, hey, I'm on my way to the temple. And if the guy is dead, maybe he's dead. If I touch him, I'm going to defile myself and I can't serve in the temple. So somehow he rationalized that and he went on and he passed the man by. And maybe the guy, if he was conscious, maybe he's thinking, here's my hope. Here's somebody that's going to help me. Here's somebody that's going to do something for me. But it was self-interest. It was self-interest that made him kept, keep walking. Then there's a Levi comes by, and a Levi is sort of the assistant to the priest, and he's on his way to the temple. And it says the Levi saw him. He saw him seeing equals responsibility. He saw the man, and he went by on the other side. Then a Samaritan came by. And a Samaritan has bad theology. A Samaritan has the wrong pedigree. Samaritan's a mixed breed. He's, you know, when the, back in 1722 AD, when the, or, or BC, when the uh, Assyrians conquered northern Israel, they intermarried with the Jews that were left there, and they were a mixed breed, and they were not respected. And then you've got these, uh, you know, they didn't believe, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe in the rest of They didn't believe in Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all of that stuff. And they didn't believe in most of the Old Testament. And they had the temple there in Samaria they had bad theology but a right heart in this story sometimes we have good theology but bad living out that theology but this Samaritan came by and he saw the man and he had compassion on him and he went over and he picked up the bloody, bruised, cut man, and he got the blood all over his robe. And he took his oil and he took his wine and he poured it in the man's wounds. And he put the man on his horse and he took his money and he paid for an inn and he told the innkeeper, I'm going to take care of all of his expenses. You see, real moral leadership Moral, moral leadership that's higher than self-interest always gives sacrificially. 
Always give sacrificially. You know, living for self-interest is the lowest form of living. The highest form of living is living for others. And here's the irony. When you live for yourself, you feel empty. When you live for others, you feel full. You cannot help another person without helping yourself. So when I look at the Easter story and I look at Caiaphas and I look at Pilate, I see self-interest, 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 self-interest. I'm going to keep my job. I'm going to do what's best for me. And Pilate knew, Pilate knew there was something special about Jesus. His wife sent him a message that says, listen, have nothing to do with this righteous man. I've suffered many things in a dream about him. Pilate listened to this man and he tried to get, he tried to get this off his plate. He tried to give it to Herod. You know, he tried it, he tried, but, but even though he knew, even though he knew Jesus was authentic, he still made the decision to save his own skin. He lived for self-interest. Say this with me, living for self-interest is the lowest form of living. Living for others is the highest form of living. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for money, many. When I look at our world and what I see in the world, I see, I see nations, I see governments, I see people. A whole system of people that are living for self-interest. But God wants to raise up a kingdom of people who transcend that and they live not for self-interest but for obedience to God and serving others obedience to God and serving others obedience to God and serving others that what Jesus did says in Philippians chapter 2 that he emptied himself he gave up his position in order to serve others and because he gave up his position and he emptied himself to serve others God has exalted him to the highest place there was a missionary Back in the 50s, a guy named Jim Elliott, he went to Ecuador with a bunch of other missionaries. And uh, I think it was 1956, he was martyred. He was attacked by these, uh, these native Indians, him and five other people, and he was killed. And, uh, and he's written, a, you know, written, had written some books. He's very famous. But Jim Elliott said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. It sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus said if you, if you save your life, if you make your life about self-interest, you're going to lose your life. If you lose your life to serve others and you sacrifice your life and you don't do for self-interest, you're, you're, you risk things to help other people. You'll find your life. So what happened to Pilate? 33 AD, Jesus is before him, orders him to be whipped. He's trying to keep his job, trying to preserve himself. Self-preservation is the rule of the day. He gets rid of Jesus, has him crucified. Then, of course, Jesus messes that whole thing up. Three years later, 
three years later, there's a, there's a, a little movement riot in Samaria, 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 and he sends a bunch of soldiers up there with a bunch of swords, and it's sort of a peaceful demonstration on Mount Gerizim, and he kills a bunch of them, and the governor of Syria, which was his direct report, took Pilate's job from him three years after this. And Pilate gets on a ship and tries to go to Rome to appeal to Tiberius to keep his position. On the way to Rome, Tiberius dies and Caliglia became the next emperor. And he was a nut and crazy guy. And Pilate never got his job back. And Eusebius, the church historian, says that he, he settled in a little town. A little town on the Rhone River. And here's what Eusebius says. Overcome with the misfortunes of life. Pilate committed suicide, trying to keep his job, self-preservation, self-interest. And one of the great ironies of history, 36 AD, three years after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, and Pilate loses his job and ultimately takes his life, that very same year, the governor of Syria deposed Caiaphas. Caiaphas lost his job. Pilate lost his job, lost his life. And on this Easter Sunday, I have a dream, I have a, a, a vision that, that we'll become the church in America, that we'll become a people that live differently than the culture around us because self-interest Serving self-interest is the lowest form of living that there is. I want you to say Jim Elliott's quote with me. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. I just love the fact that, you know, that it starts in little ways. It starts in simple ways. It starts, you know, just in your own home. Serving your spouse, serving others every day, thinking about how can I be, be like Jesus, empty myself and serve other people. When I know when Karen comes from the grocery store and I'm in my office at home, I sometimes hide in there and pretend that I don't see her come up. And, <laughs> and she raps on the door and she said, buddy, you better get out there and help empty these, uh, these uh, groceries here. And on good days, I meet her out there. But certain days, it's just self-interest. I want to I just say this as I end. I want to say this. There's a better way to live. There's a better way to be a better country. There's a better way to approach life. And that's emptying yourself in order to serve others. He who holds on to his life, he who grasps on to it, he who tries to have self-interest and preserve himself will lose his life. But he who gives it will gain his life. I want you to lift up your hands today on this Easter. And I want you to just, as your hands are raised, I want you to say, Lord, Lord, I give myself fully to you. Forgive me for being self-oriented. 
governed by self-interest, help me to lay down my life the way Jesus did. As your hands are raised, let me just pray over you right now. Just receive the grace of the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit moving and speaking to you right now and helping you and encouraging you. We pray for our country. We pray for our world. We pray for the international community. We pray for the nations of the world that we are so obsessed right now with our own preservation. Lord, give us a moral leadership. Raise up moral leadership throughout our, our, our world. And we pray, God, that you'll give us the courage to do that which is right, not that which is expedient. I pray that let it begin here in little ways in our own community. Let it begin right where we are. And let us become the kind of people you've called us to be. I speak your blessing over these people today as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Because you've been raised from the dead. The Spirit of God lives inside us to help us live out these truths. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.